I think you've uh, heard the term uh, seeker-sensitive church. Yeah? Actually, I can't get this anymore. It went kajigoos, so it's all right. Look at that. Boom. Hey, don't make fun of people who are technologically challenged, okay? It's very insensitive of all of you. All right. Sorry. (laughs) All right. Back to work. All right. This doesn't work anymore anyway. I'm, I'm gone again. No, now I'm on like Bigsby voice, whatever that is. I'm consistent, all right? Consistency is a really important virtue. Hold on, last time. All right, that's it. I'll never touch it again. Um, as I said, the question is, uh, seeker-sensitive church, people think, gosh, what does it mean to, you know, we want to be a church that's sensitive to seekers, and there's a lot of almost controversy around. Does that mean you have to, you know, compromise some of your service and worship to worry so much about the seekers? But I, I think the question is not whether you want to be a seeker-sensitive church, but who is the seeker, actually? Because in the text we read today, it says, the Son of Man came to seek and save what was lost. And says, you know, so if Jesus is the actual seeker, don't you think we should be a seeker-sensitive church? I think we should be very sensitive to the seeker. You know, and to think that, you know, if he's seeking after those who are lost, isn't that the kind of place we want to be? And what's interesting about the text is actually the word seeker is used twice. Once Jesus is the seeker, but it also says when it says Zacchaeus wanted to see Jesus, actually the phrase there is the exact same phrase. And whenever the scripture does that, it's, it's, you're pointing out he is seeking to see Jesus. So really you have both Zacchaeus who is seeking and you have Jesus who is seeking. And so I definitely want to be a seeker-sensitive church. Sensitive to both those seekers and knowing they're both there. And so in these next um, couple weeks, we're actually going to do a series on our, on our Invitations from God series on an invitation from the seeker. And today, we're going to talk a lot more, uh, really from this passage of Luke 10, about the heart of the seeker. You know, uh, less on the practical, what, what's going on inside? What's inside God's heart? You know, how, what is, how is he thinking and feeling about him being a seeker? What's that look like? And what's it look like? for the person in Zacchaeus' stage? What's in his heart? And I think uh, when we look at that today, then we're asking ourselves next week a lot more practical. How does, how does that practically work out? You know, how can we practically be the arm of the great seeker in this world, even as a church? So, but today, let's learn the heart of the seeker. So we're going to be looking at Luke uh, chapter uh, 19, verses 1 to 10. And uh, so off again. I'm dead. Okay. It's all right. Um, I have it all here. But uh, it's good. It's really good to have to, like, go for it without nothing, you know? So, also good grace today. Um, Actually, that's fine. Um, How many people, this is actually a well-known, I could say it's a well-known passage of Zacchaeus, but it's actually not a well-known passage, is it? It's a well-known name, Zacchaeus. Because why does everybody know the name Zacchaeus? The stupid little song. All right. (laughs) And I didn't grow up with that dumb song. I, was, I came in later and I said, what are they singing? And it's, such, it's not just that it's a, a, I say dumb little song because it so twists this passage. And if you think you understand this passage because you know that song, please forget the song. It's not about a cute little guy who climbed in a tree. It's really not. It's actually an incredibly important passage. 
And, the, and, and it, 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 it weaves so much of Luke gets woven together and comes to almost like a climactic moment in this passage. It's actually a fascinating and important passage. Forget the song, please. So we're going to spend some time initially talking about what do I mean it, it, it links together with the rest of Luke? I mean, what's really happening here? How is it pulling together these big themes that really get at the heart of God in the gospel? And then secondly, we'll ask, so, so what is all that stuff that's happening? How does that help us grasp this main point that we're supposed to walk away with from this passage? And lastly, how, how does that happen in our lives now? You know, how, how, how does that principle from this passage, which is so critical, how should that impact us as we try to gather God's heart, really the heart of the seeker? All right, so firstly, what's happening in Luke? One of the first things you need to see here is there's all this detail. Whenever there's a ton of little, almost apparently frivolous detail in a scriptural passage, don't write off as frivolous. Remember, in general, the Bible is taking enormous speeches and enormous events and, and pushing them down into tiny little four and five, ten-verse things. So it's incredibly selective what it includes and doesn't include. And generally, when there's detail included, it's included very thoughtfully. It's not just thrown in there. And this passage is packed with apparently frivolous detail. You know, Jericho. Uh, the chapters before, remember, Jesus is kind of in Galilee, then he ends up in Jerusalem. It never really says where all these little events are happening. But Jericho, it mentions. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. Do you, how often do you get names? Right? Almost, it's always like a Pharisee. It's a rich man. It's a certain man. It's, you know, it's, it's, it's never a name unless it's some character who's going to be like John or Peter or someone has, you know, continuing significance. Very, very rare to mention name. And Zacchaeus is never mentioned anywhere else in the Bible. It just chucks his name in. Why does it matter? Why, why would it matter? Why wouldn't he just be, why would it matter to say there's a guy who was a chief tax collector and was very wealthy, right? But he says his name. Why? Uh, the fact that he was a chief tax collector. And by the way, that's a very unusual word. It's, it's a description of tax collector. Chief tax collector is also nowhere else in the Bible. It's actually one word. It says like tax collector and the ruling tax collector. It's like a prefix. And actually, according to scholars I've seen, they can't find that phrase anywhere else in uh, ancient Greek writings. I mean, tax collector is a common term, but not with that little appendage on it. Uh, you know, he's wealthy, it mentions. Short man. Think of any place else in the scripture that you see a physical description of somebody. I, can't actually, I couldn't actually think of another one. I'm sure they exist, but it's just extremely rare. Uh, sycamore fig tree. Weird. So what we're going to do is we're going to try to hunt down some of the stuff. What is going on in this passage? Why all these details? Now let me warn you. Um, I'm not, you're probably thinking, ooh, I want to, why Zacchaeus? Why the short guy? Why the tree? I'm going to do all that all the way at the end. So this is my, bri- I'm bribing you to stay awake. All right, and the youth had an overnight, which I think was pretty fun. You guys just, isn't that interesting? Zacchaeus, stay awake. All right, all the way to the end. Actually, it's okay if you fall asleep. It's all right. Um, but I know it. This is exciting. I'm up here, and I see when you guys drop. It's really funny. You know, I, tr- I try not to look at the ones who are dropping. The funniest part is when you drop and try to look like you're not. You know, that's the great. But I, it's okay. It's all right. I, 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 if I'm there, I drop, so I, I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Um, so let's first here, let's talk about this term wealthy. Very important term. The term, that you, if you're reading through Luke, you don't see the word wealth, wealthy. It gets translated rich. Same word. 
And rich you see a lot in Luke. Uh, I'll write the start. Woe to you who are rich, for you've already received your comfort. And he told them this parable in Luke 12. The ground of a certain rich man produced a crop. Remember the guy's going, gosh, what do I do with all this crop? And he goes, oh man, I'm going to build these big storehouses and store all this big crop. And then you know, Jesus says to him, you know, don't you know your, your, your life can be demanded of you this very day? And Jesus goes on and says, you know, this is how it will be for anyone who stores up things for himself but is not rich towards God. It's a pretty heavy language towards the rich. And I didn't even put the language in there, but you remember the rich man and Lazarus, right? The, the story of, and here, who has the name, right? Lazarus has the name. The rich man's just a generic name, which is important to kind of, oh, wow, that contrasts with what I saw. And remember here, it's like the rich man has all this wealth and all this, and the Lazarus has nothing. You know, he's trying to eat like the crumbs. And then they die, and the rich man's in hell, looking up and saying, Lazarus, where? At the bosom of Abraham. I'll, I'll wait on that one just for a moment. And the bosom of Abraham. And if you remember the story that, uh, that um, Rose just read, what does he, what does he say about um, Zacchaeus? He's to a son of Abraham. You know, as if you would think he's not a son of Abraham, and here Lazarus is looking up, and he's in the bosom of Abraham. Um, and, but the key, the key text, which is just crazy, is this next one. The rich young ruler. This happens in the... It's really just prior. It's middle of chapter 18. There's a little stuff just after it, but it's almost like these are right next to each other. And I think they're meant to be immediately contrasted. You see Zacchaeus in light of this story. Uh, one thing accuse it right off the bat, the certain ruler asked Jesus the word ruler, right? Any guess? There's the prefix. The ruling tax collector. Ruler, RK, like archangel. This RK. And so if you're, if you're, just, if you're just reading it in Greek, right? Bam, bam. <laughs> you know, ruler, ruler. You know, you just go, boom. These are just like, these are attached. And what else about this ruler? He wants to inherit eternal life. What's how Zacchaeus described? Salvation's come to him right now. Uh, give to the poor. What did Zacchaeus do in response? In fact, you know, here he's supposed to give all your belongings to the poor. Zacchaeus gives half his belongings to the poor, but the idea is that he gives, because he gives the rest to make up right. You know, the idea is that he gave it all away. Uh, and obviously he's a rich man. So you're like, oh, wow. Boom, 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 right? You can see these things. But what's the difference here? Now, the contrast or what's very interesting is because he... Um, here, this guy's a righteous man, right? Jesus says, the rich young ruler comes up, what must I do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, well, you know the commandments. And he says, oh, I've kept these since I was a boy. You know, that's not the tax collector. That's a major, major contrast, right? This is this righteous man next to the tax collector. And this one, he says, and obviously the big contrast is when he says to give his money to the poor, what does he do? He walks away very sad. He's a man of great wealth. Huge contrast. And then as the text goes on, which is really fascinating, um, he says, you know, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. And the, they go, uh, how then can someone be saved? Ah, was impossible with men is possible with God. Now do you see where Zacchaeus is coming out there? So just before it's impossible for this rich man to enter the kingdom of God, and then what do you see in Zacchaeus? It's possible with God. For this rich man did. Now, what's the problem with being rich, right? Is the problem with being rich that they're, they're so, um, uh, you know, that they're so, uh, that God just doesn't like people with wealth? 
No, the, the main problem with wealth is that it's so hard for them to enter the kingdom of God because they can't trust in their, you know, they can't trust in God. You know, to trust in their wealth. And also for like a poor person to be able to go, Lord, all of my life is yours. You were Lord of all that I have is fairly easy if you have nothing. It's not easy. It's still hard. It's actually because everyone has something. But for, the, for the, even the rich young ruler who wanted to live this righteous life to say all of this stuff is yours, he walked away sad because he couldn't do that because he knew, boom, that Jesus put his finger right on the place where he had not, was not in subject to him. You know, so it's, it's extremely hard for people with wealth, oftentimes. And we, I think we know this in our area, you know, for people to ex- understand their need to have their entire lives put at the feet of Jesus. The irony is, is that people actually in need are often in better shape spiritually than people who have it all together. You know, folks, and, and keep in mind, he's, a, he's someone that all of society, um, I mean, people, people of uh, wealth have tremendous power and influence and esteem of others. You know, so all that gets in the way of them spiritually. It seems impossible. But yet, with Zacchaeus' story, it's not only possible, it happens right here. This rich man. And, um, and, that, that, and that, that's a key part of that language right there. You know, Jesus re- you know, reaches the spot, he looks up, he says Zacchaeus to come down, and he welcomes him gladly. And the people mutter, you know, this guy's a guest of a sinner. But look, Lord, and that's the key thing. He calls him Lord. Here now I give half my possessions to the poor. I've cheated anybody I have anything. I'll pay back four times the amount. He acknowledges him as Lord. Now, the lesson from here, and, and you've got to take everything in the context of a larger text. It's not, like, it's not that he's saved because he gave his money away, right? That's not what's going on here. He's made him Lord, and he's responding to the incredible grace. He was a man up in a tree who Jesus called you know, and he gave his grace and says, I'm going to be with you. I'm going to go to your house far before and he did anything. So it was in a response to it. So he said before, over from Psalm 116 at the start, we love God because he first loved us. All of our lives are in response to what he's done. So this is a response, which is a, in some ways, a, his, his giving of his wealth was a sign, indeed, that Jesus was his Lord. It was a sign of it and wanting to make right. So anyway, so that's, the, that's when you see that he's a rich man, this is what's happening all the way uh, throughout it. And what's interesting about the rich man, too, is he's esteemed in the eyes of culture uh, and in the eyes of the world. He's a well, you know, the rich young ruler is a righteous man, yet God sees what's really going on. That this, there is a heart that's very hard to turn to him. So that's the first category. Let's go to the second category, the fact that he was a chief tax collector. We figured out, we've already kind of scooped out the chief thing, right? And, and keep in mind, this is also Jericho was a key um, customs town, you know, trade. So that was like, that was one of the key business centers where everything came in and out of Israel. So tax collector, great job there. And being a chief tax, tax collector as well almost made him um, really, the chief tax collectors were more like the Romans, you know, and, the, and they had the sub guys. And so he's almost in the state, you know, of uh, almost like the Roman. But what's the deal with tax collectors? Um, on our cover, the only difference between a tax man and a taxidermist is a taxidermist leaves the skin. Um, it's on your cover. I got it from Catherine White's email thing. She's a tax person. So I figured I could trust her for a good quote. Um, <clears throat> but as bad as you may think tax people are in our culture, it's nothing compared to what it was in the first century. Um, some of the ways it's described in Luke uh, or another in the Gospels, like in 
If he refuses to listen even to the church, treat him, then this guy who receives, refuses to receive correction, treat him as you would a pagan or a tax collector. It's a great way to group them together. Uh, I tell you the truth, tax collectors and the prostitutes are entering the kingdom of God ahead of you. Again, the grouping. See the grouping. You know? The next one, um, all the people, even the tax collectors, when they heard Jesus' words, acknowledged that God's way was right. Everyone going, whoa, the tax collectors? They did? Unbelievable. Wow. Uh, the Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself. God, I thank you. I'm not like these other robbers, evildoers, adulterers, even this tax collector. So this is, this is how they were grouped, all right? These are the, this is the guilt by association, all right? You know, like, I don't think this is far worse than the Mark Twain quote. This is way, way worse. And just to get some, in rabbinical writings, it was really something. Here's just a quote from a, um, I don't even know if we can get all we, oh, okay, it got messed up. But anyway, uh, a Jew entering the custom service, which is that tax collector service, cut himself off from decent society. He was disqualified, disqualified from being a judge or even a witness in court, excommunicated from the synagogue. The members of his family were considered to be equally tarnished because of their exactions and extortions. Customs officials were in the same legal category as murderers, robbers, thieves, and money changers. Money handled by tax collectors was tainted, could not be used even for charity. For to touch the wealth of a man who obtains it unlawfully is to share in their guilt. So this is how they were treated back then. You're thinking, what is the big deal about tax collectors back then? What you've got to understand is the Romans, right, wanted to tax from folks, but the Romans were really clever. They didn't do the taxation themselves. They got people in those communities to do it. Right? The people who would know where the money is and who would know the people. And, and oftentimes they would even like just want a big giant cut, like contract it out essentially. We want this much tax. This is good for your budgeting, right? Who wants to give us this amount of money for the right to tax? And what came with that right? All the power of the Roman authority with you. And, and so the guys would contract out, take these big tax contracts, and then just extort because the Romans didn't care how you got it. And what are they doing it for? Because they can get a cut on top of it. So all additional tax they raised, straight in their pockets, right? So they were just brutal. And who are the people they're collecting it from? So they are becoming incredibly rich, wealthy, and powerful people with Roman muscle surrounded by them. And who are they going to? Their own community. The Roman oppressors, they've decided to work for the Roman oppressors and become rich off your backs. That is so brutal. That's why they're calling them tax collectors and sinners. These are the worst of the worst. Who can do that? Who can conscious being a tax collector? How do you do that? That's why anything they touch is just unclean. You don't go anywhere near these people. These are the worst of the worst. Think of the biggest... I mean, what, what's, I can't even think of a good equivalent in our society for someone that horrible. You know, what is the equivalent? What's that? Quizly. I'm glad someone answers now. See, this is great about being in this space. I ask a rhetorical question, I get responses. And I, and I don't even know what he's talking about. What's a quizzling, Kevin? Go ahead. Well, there you go. Thank you, Kevin. I mean, it would be like a quizzling. Um, you know, I'm glad, I, I'm glad I'm able to create such clarity in the scripture. At the, it's good. So it'd be like a quizzling. Um, but here's the weird part in Luke. Where you, see, you saw the rich man was roundly condemned through Luke. The tax collector is not roundly condemned through Luke. I mean, he's seen as this horrible creature. But here's how he's seen. All the way back Luke 3, right, from the very start, 
the tax collectors also came to be baptized, asking, teacher, what should we do? Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi, right? Matthew and the other Gospels. He was a tax collector, and he said, follow me to the tax collector. And Matthew comes up and becomes one of the apostles. And in fact, even Matthew, and since Levi even gives an idea of, the, of his importance in Jewish culture, too, by using that name. But he held a great, a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. So those tax collectors are flocking to Jesus. Remember the prodigal son, right? It says tax collectors and sinners were gathering around Jesus. And the Pharisees are like, what are you doing eating with these guys? How can, we don't touch them. Nobody touches them. Why are you touching them? And you remember, uh, and here's an 18, right? Zacchaeus is in 19, right? This is an 18. Again, this is just before the rich young ruler. Right? So there, you see how they're coming back to back right there? And here it's two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed, hey, God, thank you, I'm not like the robbers, evildoers, and adulterers, or even like this tax collector. But what did the tax collector say? But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, beat his breast, and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus, I tell you, that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So the Pharisee, the righteous one, did not go home justified. This poor tax collector, humbling himself, beating his breast for his horror, humbles himself before God, and he is justified. And again, so now you come, and then what do you come to? The story in Zacchaeus. The rich man and the tax collector. Amazing. So this tax collector, so you see how Zacchaeus then in some ways embodies all of these things that are being said in Luke, doesn't he? This tax collector who is seeking to see who Jesus is. Seeking after him. Who are you, Jesus? And he's a short man. He can't say, he, he gets up in a tree. And Jesus sees him in the tree and calls him by name. How does Jesus know his name? But he calls him by name. Zacchaeus, you come down. And what's he say? He doesn't say come down. He doesn't say repent. He says, I'm going to be in your house. That's the grace first, isn't it? And in, in, in the ancient world, too, you can't underestimate um, the intimacy that happens when you share a meal with someone, when you go into their home, when you live with them. Remember, even what the rabbis say, you become tainted by their stuff. Don't even touch them. You don't touch anything. He not only touches their money, touches their stuff, touches their hand, touches their bed, touches their life. But the amazing thing with Jesus is, is um, when Jesus hugs the defiled one, he doesn't become defiled. He makes holy that which was defiled. Because you know, ultimately, again, that's on the cross. Boom. It's paid for on there. So he makes holy Zacchaeus. An amazing state. I'm going to stay at your house today. And, and obviously you can see from the language, they're going, they're shocked by that. How could you possibly, the, the chief, the ruling type, the, the most horrible creature in our whole town, the most hated figure, the worst traitor, and you are going to go be with him? And Jesus says about him, I'm telling you, this guy is a son, too is the son of Abraham, and today salvation's come to his house, enters the kingdom of God. So, and actually became to be what Jesus was known for, right? 
The Son of Man came eating and drinking. You say, here's a glutton and drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. It's actually who Jesus is. And you see, it comes to a climactic perfect with the tax collector of tax collectors, Zacchaeus. Even the greatest of them, the most horrid of them. The most total person who's become the, most, the worst traitor of our nation, our people, and our community. He's the one Jesus is seeking. Amazing. I think it's just blue, yeah. So what do we, as we look from this text, that's, in many ways you ask yourself, okay, what is the seek? What is the heart of the seeker? You're like, well, one, um, in the first group, the rich man, he knows, he knows the barrier that stops that man, doesn't he? He knows the one who looks like he has it all together in his society, the one who doesn't need anything, but he knows what's happening in his heart. And he knows how, how hard it is for him to bow his knee to me. It's like the Pharisee, right? It's like the Pharisee who thinks, I've done all this stuff. Your righteousness is actually a barrier to you humbling yourself before God. How many good people do you know? But they want nothing to do with God. And Jesus knows the curse of the goodness, the self-deception of it. And he knows the, the riches, how safe it makes them feel. But yet he knows also that he seeks after that one and that their need too can bow to him. And he knows too the the horrors of the tax collector, the one that we all look at and say, after what they have done, it's not possible that somebody like that could do. And what is he like, too? He, he's not somebody who, who cares about what anyone thinks, right? Tax collector doesn't fear God or fear man, right? I mean, what kind of a person can turn their back on all their family and all their community, can sit there and put Roman muscle after and become rich and live in a life of luxury off the backs of their people? What kind of a person can do that? Surely that kind of a person can't possibly bow their knees before God. Yet Jesus is seeking after that very one. It's pretty shocking, huh? You ask yourself the heart of the seeker. What do we know about Zacchaeus? What we know about him is he is this kind of this horrible creature of a person. You know, he's not a cute little figure up in a tree. He's a horrible lech. And what do we know about him? He was seeking to see Jesus. Why? I don't know. I don't think anyone knew. Do you think Zacchaeus even knew? I'm not sure. But he was. In fact, many of them were seeking of these lech creatures were somehow drawn to Jesus, coming around him beating their breasts as they did it, realizing, what have I done? Oh, mercy. So what are we supposed to take from this? Well, remember, Jesus seeks and saves the lost, and who's he do it through today? Through us, right? We're the hands and feet of Jesus. We're the ones who proclaim the message. We're... We are the, the seekers for him. Right? No one, we are the ones through whom God reveals himself. Think of it yourself. How many of you people, uh, I'm, 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 for those here who, you know, actually, how'd you ever get here? How'd you ever get to a church? How'd you ever find out anything from the Bible? Didn't someone tell you about it? Didn't someone reach out to you? Who of you have come through any other method but another person in some way? 
the Holy Spirit working through another person. But there is no other method. You are God's method. Wow, that's kind of scary, huh? I feel really terrified to think that God... But, but we are who he chooses to use. And, and I think we're, we're to see the, the rich men in our society. And it can, rich is a category. I mean, in our society, I think of who, who, who are the rich people? They're the, they're the good people. They're the people who have succeeded in life. They're the intelligent. They're the, the you know, self, people, they're the self-made people. The people who the rest of our society esteems. The ones of influence and power who don't seem to need anything. But we need to know that they can turn. That actually all that stuff is a giant lie. You know, that all the stuff they're trusting in is not trustworthy at all. But you need to know that God's even working in their heart and seeking after them. And we're to know also that even the chief tax collectors of our society, the ones who appear that, man, that person obviously doesn't care at all. The things they've done, even... Jesus is seeking after them, and who knows what's happening inside their heart. And what's the idea in the scripture, right? Why does the scripture talk about the extremes always? Because the extremes tell you that everything in between. That there's people out there all over the place seeking after him, and whom Jesus is seeking after. And God wants us to know that. Do you believe that? Do you believe all these people? Do you have anybody in your life you think, man, that guy would never come to Jesus? Am I the only one who has people like that in my life? Don't believe it. And I can't guarantee you that person will, but I can guarantee you that person might, and you don't know. (laughs) And I can guarantee you that you don't know if he is actually wanting to see Jesus. He may not know it, but we're to be his hands and feet out in the world. And, And again, next week we're going to talk more about what does that actually look like. But for now, I mean, the culture culture's full of people like that. I mean, the testimonies of uh, people in the church who have come to Jesus, it's incredible. I mean, I think of myself. I mean, obviously, I'm not like these guys, but, man, no one, I'm sure no one thought there was any chance I would ever become a believer in Jesus. You know, no chance. In fact, no one even bothered sharing the gospel with me. I was 27 that I can remember. You know? But yet God was at work. You think guys like C.S. Lewis, you know, this hardened, atheist, you know, brilliant academic who became great in the eyes of God. I mean, one story I find fascinating, and I'll mention, is Herb Opelek. You probably haven't heard of him, but uh, just a little bit about him. He was raised in an Orthodox Jewish home, in which, you know, all these rabbis were in his family tree. He attended Hebrew schools in New York City, but he was, um, oh no, don't do the quote just yet. This is what he said, but... Um, he was fluent in modern, modern and ancient Hebrew by age 10. He became ordained as a rabbi at age 18. He pursued two, you know, two PhDs. Uh, he married an Orthodox Jewish woman whose father was recognized as an expert on medieval Jewish-Christian debate, and he was seen as like an heir apparent. So one of his doctorates was on the New Testament, and because uh, he wanted, as he said, um, to learn how to debunk the New Testament and the breed Hadashah, as they say. But Opelik was beginning to doubt, actually, the validity of some of his orthodox practices during this time. He ends up getting divorced at age, you know, 12 years after he was married. And, uh, but at the same time, his academic career is, you know, just flourishing. You know, he's speaking at universities. He's a, you know, rabbi at an uh, important uh, campus. He's speaking at Harvard, among other places. 
Um, he was the executive vice president and professor of Jewish law at this, uh, the fastest growing institution of rabbinic study in Brooklyn. You know, everything professionally was going fantastic. And uh, in the spring of 2000, uh, he actually had flown to Boston to raise money for the Graduate Institute he had founded. And the airline lost his luggage, and um, he had nothing to read. And so he's in his hotel room, and he opens up, and he looks at a Gideon's Bible. And he goes, who could read this stuff? I'd studied it before my, for my doctrinal uh, study, but now we go to his quote. And he says, I opened up to John chapter 3, and I started being upset because who would want to read something that I'd done a dissertation on and thought I knew? But as I read and reached Nicodemus and being born again from heaven, even though I had all that book knowledge and even though I had been scrupulous in obeying all of the laws, it was only at that point in my life that the Holy Spirit actually entered into me and I finally understood who Yeshua, Jesus, was. I spent the rest of the night going through in my mind all of the Hebrew scriptures and finally understanding how they're related to, to Jesus, to Yeshua. Now what's interesting is... Um, Upon, upon uh, this happening, he goes back to New York City, and he, starts, and he uh, starts studying the scripture in this public library, and he starts thinking more and more this could be true. And so he resigns his post at the Jewish Graduate Institute. And so what's he do to try to figure out, is this really true, and what do I do? He came across an online article about the New York City Rescue Mission, whose goal was to bring people to faith. So he actually called the head of that mission and said, can I just go there as one of your, you know, like one of the homeless people who come in there and stay at your mission. And I want to give myself a month and figure out if I really think this thing is true. So he basically looked like a homeless guy in the rescue mission for a month, this Orthodox this rabbi. And at the, end of a mo- at the end of the month, he, uh, he basically says, I believe this stuff is true. I want to be baptized, and I want to follow Jesus. And so what did he end up doing? Well, besides becoming this outclassed in the Jewish community, he ended up finding that the rescue mission was a perfect place for him. And he ended up running rescue missions for the rest of his life. And was the head of the, you know, in California, the Merced uh, County Rescue Mission. He was the president of it. This guy was an Orthodox Jewish rabbi. It says when he, um, when, uh, when he asked how he got into the rescue ministry, he always answered, God has a sense of humor. <laughs> yeah. Now, just to say, that, you know, who would have thought that Herb Opelek was the slightest bit open or interested? And on the outside, he looked like a successive, successful academic who had no chance of ever doing it, but at the whole time, God was putting his finger on him. And that's how God wants us to view the world. Now, just to close up, who's Zacchaeus? I remember I said I would tell you who this is. Well, I don't know. All right. Uh, <clears throat> no, I'm, 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 I have my theory, which I like. You know, um, One of my theories, whenever I come across the names, and I'm, I'm fairly convinced, there's only one reason to include their names, right? Um, it's because they were known. You know, they, they were known by the early believers at that point. That's why, and, and that is a particular, and why all the detail in the stories, because it was, you know, he's probably talking to him. You know, and, and it was such a well-known story and a well-known person to whom this happens to. Um, is in short, I mean, guys like Simon, it mentions, remember Simon and the woman who was, um, you know, you know one, that wasn't an adultery, remember the, who was at Jesus' feet, and Simon, the Pharisee. So his name's mentioned. Got, uh, who's the guy who took the cross? I'm, I'm free and free. You should all know this, and I should know it because I'm, I'm talking about it. Um, but it's drifted from my mind. Um, it's all right. doesn't matter. But he's mentioned. Now, what's interesting is in, um, in uh, three, uh, the third century, there's a, ancient writings um, 
of, I can't remember what's the Constitution of the Church Fathers or something, but there Zacchaeus is mentioned in the third century, and he's mentioned as one who followed Peter and whom Peter then appointed as the first bishop of Caesarea. So he was St. Zacchaeus, bishop of Caesarea. Very well-known follower of Jesus. And so why do you think all this, you know, what did Zacchaeus want us to know? Uh, Zacchaeus wanted to know how incredible it was in that moment when he was up in that tree, and after all of his life, that Jesus looked at him and said, Zacchaeus, he knew me by name, and he called out to me to come. I want you to know that. And I went down to him. And that was the moment my life changed forever. I want you to know the Son of Man comes to seek and save the lost. Don't forget it. Let's pray. Lord, thank you, Father, for your abundant goodness, Lord. And Lord, give us your heart. Lord, we want the heart of you, the seeker in this world. Lord, give us, uh, give us faith to believe that you are working in people's hearts. Lord, help us to be amazed again and again at the grace you showed us. Lord, that you could take us, a sinner. And Lord, let us be your vessels in this world. We thank you, Lord, and praise you. In Jesus' name.